I'm Dr. Rachel Griffiths, and I'm with my father and business partner in aquatics, Dr. Tom Griffiths. Welcome to The Drowning Files, where each week we share a lawsuit we've been involved in or another true story with suggestions to learn from these tragedies to save lives. What case do we have today? We have two high school boys who are graduating seniors, good friends, and they're looking forward to join the service, join the military. And both boys want to be Navy SEALs, or we would call them Navy SEALs wannabe. So what they do is they get on the internet and they look for swimming skills to do exercises underwater and in the pool to better prepare them for the Navy SEAL training in the service and hoping to get accepted into that service. And the Navy SEALs, like some other branches of the military, very, very strenuous, very, very difficult, not only to get into the program, but even more difficult to graduate from the program. So this was in New York State. And from a water safety standpoint, I like New York State because their health departments in the state are very progressive. They're very proactive. And I was very happy to see that the Board of Health for the state of New York said that pools must post a sign saying no breath holding, no extreme breath holding underwater games, underwater skills. And that was a rule enacted by the health department. So these young boys were looking for a pool to train in, and they went to various pools in New York and asked permission to do their underwater workouts in preparation of their military service. And they were turned down by numerous pools. And the pools followed the health code and said, no, you can't do that. We don't allow these long breath holding activities like a brick walk. The brick walk is a notorious one where the swimmer will take a weighted brick maybe 10, 20 pounds, go to the bottom of the pool and then see how far they can walk along the bottom. No, you can't do that in our pool. So they got turned down numerous times. They finally found a swimming pool that said, sure, you can practice that. And so like other cases that are almost identical to this, the two boys were doing their underwater skills and then apparently challenged one another, let's see who can stay down the longest. And they did it simultaneously. And they were both wearing watches to see what their time was. So as luck would have it, once you go beneath the surface of the water in a swimming pool, if there are other swimmers in the pool, it creates a disturbance we call the ripple effect. And it's very difficult to see people under the water once they submerge. Um, we like to say in Stargard, Aquatics uses a term, uh, the water quickly hides and suffocates its victims. And this was true in this case. So the, they allowed these two boys to perform these rigorous uh, skills, not only on the surface, but much of it was underwater. Then at the end, they challenged themselves apparently to see who can hold their breath the longest. And the pool operator who was testing the chemicals 
came along the perimeter of the pool, got down on his knee, bent down to fill the vial with water. And as he held up the vial to put the, the colored drops in to see the amount of chlorine, as he scanned that, he saw the boys on the bottom of the pool next to the wall. And so he immediately yelled for the guards. Everyone came a running. They pulled the boys out and both, um, both boys died. Uh, I think, as I recall, one died, was dead when they pulled him out and the other one died later in the hospital. So this true case, um, one case settled quickly with the parents. The other went to a jury trial in New York. These two cases are the, you know, perfect storm of a shallow water blackout or um, hypoxic blackout event due to breath holding. And we've seen these double drownings with actual Navy SEALs performing the same type of skill. And both Navy SEALs, already certified Navy SEALs, dying doing the same thing. And so that's what I have for you today. And of course, the message is every pool should not only post no breath holding, no extreme breath holding, competitive repetitive breath holding, but also the lifeguards need to enforce that rule. And parents should know, too, starting at a young age, that their children should not play breath holding games, not starting to try to see how long they can hold their breath and time it. Um, so making sure that um, you're not holding your breath for extended periods of time or with a lot of repetitions or for competition. Exactly. Now, one caveat here, and I was guilty of this early on when I first studied shallow water blackout, and this goes way back into um, the early 1980s, I always preached you know, the three things that caused a blackout in the water were when that breath holding skill was competitive, either against yourself for time or distance or against someone else, repetitive, doing it over and over and over again, and then doing hyperventilation or forced breathing before you did the underwater skill. Some agencies today still say, well, just don't hyperventilate, or they emphasize the role of hyperventilation in shallow water hypoxic blackouts. But with the way people train today and, and the way they push themselves to the limits, I believe many people suffer these hypoxic events underwater because they inadvertently hyperventilated by working out so hard so intensely. So they didn't purposely blow in and out forcefully, but they exhaled and inhaled forcefully because they worked out so hard. With little kids, sometimes they get so wrapped up in a game, whether it be a relay race or they're picking up money off the bottom or diving sticks, and they're doing this over and over and over again, they are hyperventilating by being excited and it could happen to them. So um, that, that's just another caveat. It's just not about hyperventilation. And extreme breath holding is something that people choose to do. 
for free diving, for other activities. And that's fine if it's a choice and they know the safety protocol and they have the safety team. Where we see people getting into trouble is um, seeing all the health benefits of holding your breath underwater and activities holding your breath underwater um, for the meditative um, benefits and um, becoming a better athlete and all these different things where you see training sessions in the pool to expand your mind, to expand your fitness level without realizing these real risks. So the problem is when people try to emulate these methods um, or try to uh, reach goals without really understanding the real risks, without having that safety team and not realizing what a dangerous activity they're engaging in. That's a great point. And I have to add that many pro athletes do these underwater regimens and, and, and there's coaches to teach you how to reach nirvana, if you will, by doing these strenuous underwater breath holes. And many pro athletes use this as a supplemental way of training to learn about endurance and mindfulness and so forth, but they're never told of the risks. And you're right. This is this is a huge problem. And for, say, little kids, just making sure they have enough rest. Um, if they're doing lots of bobs to the bottom, making sure that they take plenty of rest in between, catch their breath, um, because breath holding is a part of learning to swim. So we're never saying you can't hold your breath underwater. Um, you have to learn how to hold your breath underwater, but it's just when it gets um extreme or prolonged or repetitive. Um, so do you want to close out with your recommendation that you always make about uh, one breath as a general yeah. re- recommendation? Just about to do that. You, you stole my punchline. <laughs> I, I stole the lines from an exercise physiologist at University of Princeton who watched his uh, co-captain die doing three lanes of the pool underwater. And he published these articles in the Journal of American Medical Association back in the 1960s. And what um, Dr. Craig said, his his name was A.B. Craig. A.B. Craig said, one breath, one time. One length, one time. And you rest in between. So I I think for children especially, okay, you can hold your breath. I'm going to see if you can hold your breath for 10 seconds. But at 10 seconds, I'm going to bring you up and then you're going to rest. And okay, see if you can swim one length of the pool or the width of the pool with children. Let's see if you can swim the width of the pool. Okay, yes. Yay, you did it. Now let's rest a little bit. That's the way to approach what I call breath control as opposed to breath holding. And we'll add at the end here a, a few more details about how the actual lawsuit went down. So... We had two lawsuits for the two dead underwater swimmers. And the first one, it settled quickly. And the second one went to a jury trial. Now, usually when it goes to a jury trial, first of all, it's rare. Most of these cases settle, 90% settle. But usually it's because the family doesn't believe they're being offered enough. Uh, Nothing can replace their son, but they feel that the, the value that they're being offered is too low. Um, 
what both families claimed was, and this was the strength of their both cases, is that the Department of Health said that this was a dangerous practice. The Department of Health said that every pool must have a sign banning extreme breath holding and underwater swimming, prolonged underwater swimming. And they said that the health department said lifeguards must enforce this. Well, you have three strikes and you're out. So the one family that got a quick settlement got a big settlement because, again, they violated the law. They violated the health code. If you violate the code, um, you're in big trouble. And the second case that went to a jury trial, likewise, uh, he received, that is, the family received a very large amount, again, because of what was in the health code. Now, the defense says, wait a minute. These were adults. They were 18 years old, and they knew that underwater breath holding was dangerous. That, that's always the defense. You blame the victim, which I don't think is, is a very uh, good tactic to take. But in this case, they blame the victim as they do in many cases. This was a high school graduate. They were really good swimmers. They must have known that they could black out underwater if they held their breath too, too long. But apparently, juries don't buy that, particularly when it's in the code that the pool cannot allow this type of dangerous activity. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Drowning Files, and we will be back next week. Thank you.